This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are concluding today, we're concluding the series, Love is Hard. Are you like, whew, finally, man, Rich, it's like we've been talking about this forever. Yeah. You know, in this series, we're kind of talking about and the, the reality that love is hard, right? Because in this world, it's easy, it's easy to fall in love. It's, it really is, you know? If she has the characteristics that you've been looking for, I mean, you may not know her at all, but you could fall in love just like that, or him, right? It's easy to fall in love. I mean, we even fall in love with people we've never even met before, right? Get a, get a group of women together and, and, and just have them all together and then just throw out the name Ryan Reynolds, right? <laughs> kind of looks like me, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they'll just start swooning, oh, Ryan Reynolds, and, and you'll inevitably, somebody will say, I just love Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, wait a minute, how can you love Ryan? You don't even know Ryan Reynolds. How can you possibly love Ryan? It's easy, it's easy, it's easy to fall in love. But staying in love, that's where the work is. And that's really what we've been talking about in this series. How, how, how are we going, the challenge of staying in love. You see, love is more than a feeling. That's how it starts, right? It starts with just this emotional thing. I feel attracted to that person. I want to be with that person. And we kind of, based on those, on those emotions and sometimes even some, some compatibility things, like, you know, maybe you're studying, the, maybe you're both med students and you're just going in the same direction, or maybe you're both, uh, you know, like certain kind of sports or whatever, and you're going in the same, and there's a, some compat, and you just love that person. You just want to be with that person. That's how it often starts. But staying in love, that's where the action begins. It's more than a feeling, it's action. In fact, it looks a lot like mutual submission. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? Where we submit to one another. That the idea in Ephesians 5 of husbands uh, or wives submit to your husbands, that, that, that's an, it's a verse that probably men, a lot of men know no other verse in the Bible except that one. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? Um, and that's the one that they quote all the time, but they forget that before that, Jesus says, submit to one another, right? That really we should have a a kind of relationship that's all about mutual submission, that we're submitting to each other, that we're giving into each other, right? And so if you want your, your, your marriage to last, if you want your relationships to last, the best expression of love is through mutual submission, right? Where both are deferring to each other. So we're going to look at a passage in Philippians to kind of Basically, bring a conclusion to this conversation we've been talking about for the last uh, f- five weeks now. Love is hard. It's, uh, it, it, Philippians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he wrote to, to Christians scattered throughout you know, the Asia Minor and then even into, into Europe. He wrote letters, and this is one of his letters. Okay, And it's called Philippians because it was, the, it was two Christians who were in a city called Philippi. Philippi was named because of King Philip II, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. And so there's these Christians who live in this city, very ancient city, and the Apostle Paul is writing to them and challenging them and encouraging them and talking to them about, uh, about something that he wants to tell us about how, how we should do relationships. See, Paul is, is talking about how, how Christ's love should actually 
affect every relationship in our life. Whether it's a relationship with your parents, whether it's a relationship with your children, your husband, your wife, it should affect your relationship with at work. It should affect every relationship in your life. Today, we're going to look at this love of Christ, but we're going to look at it through the lens of romantic love. So if you're here and you're dating, or you're here and you want to date, or you're here and you want to date, but you're really having a hard time finding, no, I'm just kidding. Anyways, if you're here and you're dating, or you want to date, or you're here and you're married, this message is for you of how Christ's love needs to actually affect all of our relationships. If you're here today, and here, it's for another group of people, too. if you're here today and you're married, but you think about your marriage and you think, man, it's just not as good as it used to be. Maybe you consider, remember I, we had that, that message where you talked about, what if I'm with the wrong person? Maybe that's been a consideration. Maybe you've come to this place where you've, you've maybe even decided that I am with the wrong person. This message is also for you. It would help you maybe even to course correct a marriage that's kind of going in the wrong direction. So in Philippians 2, there's this complex uh, set of verses, actually, that have been studied by theologians for centuries and centuries. Um, They're complex because they speak a lot to the divinity of Christ. But um, one really cool thing about this passage that we're going to look at is there's a a set of verses in here. There's a body of text in here that we're going to look at that um, actually was a hymn sang by the early church. Like 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Christians who would gather together in different parts around, in different parts, you know, different cities. They would gather together and they would sing verses five through 10 as a song. And so every time I read the book of Philippians and I come to this passage, I'm just, it's, I'm, it's a Carmen Christie, it's called. I'm, I mean, I'm emotionally moved to think that I'm about to study some text that Christians 2,000 years ago, very persecuted Christians, Christians who, who by just saying, I am a Christian, could lose their life, were singing these very words that we're about to study. I, I mean, okay, maybe I'm a geek, okay? But it, I, it's really, this really, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. Anyway, what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to simplify these verses, look at them through the lens of romantic love, And ask ourselves this very big question. What does it look like to do love? In our culture, we ask, what what does love look like? You know, and oftentimes we define it with a lot of emotional language. A lot of feelings. But what does it look like to do love? That's really the critical question for us. Especially if your goal is to stay in love after having fallen in love. Right? How do we do love? That's what we're going to be looking at today, okay? So in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 3, this is how it's like. Paul, it's, he's just right out the gate. It's a call to action. He says, do. In other words, he starts with the word do. This is action. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That little phrase, selfish ambition, it carries this idea of competition. Okay? Like, like competing, right? Like, and what he's saying, and, and, and this needs to apply to all of our relationships, right? We shouldn't be competing with one another. But in specifically, as we're talking about it today, we're talking about our love relationships, right? Those who are close, our romantic relationships, those who are closest to us, that we should not be in competition against them. Now, I know that sounds ludicrous to you. You're like, what? I'm not competing against them. But yet it happens all the time, Right? Like, how many times has somebody come and try to try to prove to me that, you know, their husband is just, not, is just not the right person? 
or you try to prove to me that you're smarter than her or she's, or, or, or he's, you know, he's smarter than, than, than her or something like that. You're just trying to prove to it. Prove me that. It's a, it's a sense of competition. I don't, can't tell how many times I've had a conversation with somebody. And to be honest, I'm going to confess this. My wife is sitting here. I've done this too. I do this. But um, where, where, you know, a couple starts telling a story and they'll say, yeah, so, so he was in a red car and then the husband said, no, it's blue car. And then, and you're know, like, and she like looks up with those eyes, you know, like, all right. Um, and so he, she keeps telling the story, and there was five people, and he goes, no, there was only three people in the car. You know, and it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And then you're listening, you're like, I wasn't even there. And they're like, and by the time they're done, you've like heard two different versions of the story. And then they turn and you look at you like, well, like, like you're supposed to judge. Who told the truth? <laughs> Which one told the truth? I, was, I don't know. I wasn't even there. Competing. And Paul's saying, listen. If you want this relationship, this relationship that you're in to succeed, you've got to stop competing against them. You've got to stop competing. You have to take all selfish ambition out. I mean, if you want to compete, compete with your buddies in basketball, but don't compete with that person that's your wife or your husband. Do nothing out of selfish ambitions. And then as if it's not clear enough, then he just throws this in. So verse, second part of verse three is kind of the contrast. Rather, it says don't compete, but rather in humility, that's humility of mind. It's kind of an attitude that we take on. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Translated, act as if your partner is actually greater, of greater value than you. React as if your partner is of greater value to, to, than you. Live as if your partner is of greater value to you, than you. Prefer that person. Now this can be taken to some very unhealthy levels and I'm not, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that in fact you are less important. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that by valuing that person more that you in fact are actually less valuable. This is not a, this is not a, a message about, you know, debasing ourselves or being less than. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when you look at that other person, rather than compete with them, value them. The kind of love language that we often have with our relation, in our relation, because it's transactional love, as we talked about last week, is that we compete. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. Don't compete with them. Value them instead. Value them better than yourselves. I want you to treat her as if she's more important than you. I want you to treat him as if he's more important than you. I know we struggle with this because you say to yourself, but, but she's not, Rich. <laughs> she's not more important than me. He's not more important than me. What are you talking about? And I get that. And that's why Paul is telling us this because that's the truth. If they were, if they were of greater value, you would then value them. But you, because they're not, he's telling you this is a way to keep your relation to do love rather than just fall in love. Is value them as better than yourself. And the truth is, that's what we want, right? How many of you want to be valued by your partner? Raise your hand and don't look at your partner. Yeah, they're skinny. <laughs> like I see some hands. Last service, I saw some hands go like. Like that, that, I saw that, you know, that, that's not what I'm talking about, right? We want to be valued. We want value. 
We want that person that we're living with, that person that we're sleeping with, that person that we're doing life with to look at us and say, I value that, I value you, you are important to me. And I know that you're probably saying, well, Rich, why don't you preach that sermon? Because I don't like this one, the one you're preaching now, right? But if we want that, then we need to treat them as if they are better than you. Not because they actually are, but because it's a choice that we're making. Rather than compete, we're going to value them. Then in verse 4, it says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this is hard for me because I'm mostly interested in the things that, that, that I'm mostly interested in. That's very comp- complex. Let me say it again. I'm mostly interested in the things that I'm mostly interested in. I know I'm weird. I'm I'm unique. I'm not as interested in the things that Christy's interested in because I'm mostly interested in the things that I'm interested in. Like she likes flea markets and I would rather go get a root canal. And get, I, if she said, let's go buy a motorcycle, I'd be like, let's go buy a motorcycle. That's awesome. You know, but she never says that. Because I'm mostly interested in the things that I'm mostly interested in. And what Paul's trying to tell us here, that this is hard work. This really, this love thing is hard work. It requires us to get out of ourselves and actually show interest in our, in our partner. And the things that they appreciate, the things that they love, actually show interest in it. And Paul goes on, he kind of gives us the rationale for this, this kind of, because it's a posture, it's an attitude that we have. Um, and I realize that in today's culture, this culture of, you know, my relationship should equal happiness, as we began talking about in this series, that this is hard for us to fathom. Because I think in today's culture, we mostly look at our relationship as 50-50, right? I, that, like, you, you're the other half that completes me. I was 50% all by myself, and then I met you. Now I'm 100%. And we oftentimes think that way, but that's a fallacy, okay? It doesn't work that way. In fact, if that's the kind of relationship that you have, a 50-50 kind of relationship, then what you have is a contract. You don't have love. That's what 50-50 is. It's a contract. And we're not talking about contractual love here. We're talking about Christ's love, right? And you might have reasons for that. You may have good excuses for it. Uh, so I realize that this all-in approach to, to relationships is, is not modeled very well, well in our culture, that there are people out there that would tell you differently than what you're hearing through this series. But the truth is, is that we're not interested in contractual relationships, we're not interested in love, that I give love only to get love in return, or I give love, and if I don't get love in return, then I don't give love. We're not interested in that. We, we, we've come to terms with that. We know that that does not work. And so when we think of that we have all the reasons in the world to justify my self-centered approach, this 50-50 kind of relationship, this uh, give me love so I can give you love, or I give love so you can give me love. You know, that if we, when we think we have all the reasons in the world to justify this approach, then Paul steps in and he basically defines what love looks like and he just blows us out of the water. He shows us how far Jesus went to show love. In Philippians 2.5 is what it says, in your relationships with one another, and for our purposes we're talking about our romantic relationships, our husband, our wife, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. I want you to, to, to make a break from the general attitude out there in this culture. From the attitude that your parents had or that your roommate has about relationships. 
I want you to make a break from what the world is saying, how relationships should work. I want you to take a break from all of that. I want you to have the attitude of Christ when we talk about relationships. It's interesting. Somebody in the first service after, after the message came up to me and said, you know, I've often called this passage of scripture the, a marriage manual for Christians. If Christians would only just follow Philippians chapter two, like if, we would, if that's the only passage of scripture we had and we just followed Philippians chapter two, our lives would be completely different. If we were obedient to Philippians chapter two, our lives would be completely different, right? This is what Jesus said. Have this attitude. In verse six, he goes, who being in the very nature of God, this is the attitude that Christ had, who being in the very nature of God, which literally means that when Jesus walked into the room, he was the most important person in the room. He was God. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though he was more important than anybody else in the room, he didn't leverage that. He didn't say, look, I'm God, therefore you should do. That's not how he invites us into a relationship with him. I'm God, therefore you should. He didn't leverage his divinity so that you and I could have a relationship with him. He didn't pull rank. He never leveraged his position. Now I realize that, that you feel like you have a right. You might say, she's done this or, or he's done that. You might want to leverage that. You want to hold that over their heads and say, look, if you'd only stop doing these things, I can love you. Again, remember, we talked about that last week. That's this, that's this uh, transactional model of love. And if we do that, what happens? What, what, what's happen, what happens? Generally, we find a reason to withhold love. And when we withhold love, then... God really can't be in that relationship. So Jesus is saying, listen, I realize that this is counterintuitive. I realize that this is difficult for us. But trust me, follow my example on this. Now, this is counterintuitive. This is difficult sometimes for us to comprehend. And, I, and I'm sure that some of you are sitting here, you're, like, you're saying, Rich, this seems like an impossibility and here's why you're probably saying that, because this is how we oftentimes listen, especially when a pastor or a preacher is talking about relationships, right? When we listen, we're like, we're sitting there and we're saying, we're hearing the message and we're, this is what we're saying. This is what's going through our head. Man, if she would only just do that, like the person next to you, right? If he would only just do that, or you're trying to scheme, you're trying to figure out how, how can I get him to listen to the, to the YouTube video of this? Because certainly if he just did this, our relationship would be so much better. But you've got to understand that Jesus here, or Paul here, is not, he's not talking to them. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. This is first, he's first meant to speak to you. That you hear it for yourself. You're not filtering it all by how your spouse should be, but how you should be. And if we could listen that way, suddenly we discover things that, little ways of changing in the way we do love in our relationships. We begin to operate differently. Because if you walk away from here saying, yeah, Pastor Rich said this, if you'll just do this, you'll just do that, you'll just... They could also say the same thing. Yeah, you know, Pastor Rich said this. If you'll just do this, this, and that. And you find yourself in this battle again, competing with each other. Paul says, stop competing. Do you. Do you well. It's meant first to speak to you, right? We talked about this whole transactional love thing last night. And I'm aware that for some of you, that's, that's very difficult because you're in a very one-sided relationship. Maybe your spouse is not even a believer. And so what does the Bible have to do anything for them, you know? They don't care what the Bible says. It doesn't matter, really. 
You might feel that way. And I'm, I, I feel bad for you. I feel bad that you're in that situation. But what's the alternative? To withhold love? To take on a, a worldly paradigm of how we love each other? Or to simply obey what, what, what Christ is telling us here? See, if we faithfully did what was right, because Jesus asked us to, we might see some changes in our relationships. At least, at least we are being obedient. At best, who knows, you might be modeling something that your partner sees and they're like, okay, maybe I should try again. Maybe I should try harder. Who knows? Verse seven, it says, rather, he made himself nothing. This is the passage that theologians have argued about for centuries now because it has to do with the divinity of Christ. Did he empty himself completely of his divinity or did he just empty himself temporarily? You know, what was it? So they've, they've discussed that. But for our purposes today, we're talking about marriage and relationships. And it goes without saying that in a, in a marriage relationship, there's some emptying of self that has to happen, doesn't there? Right? No? They're all looking at me like, uh, I don't know, maybe not, you know? See, falling in love is easy. But if you're gonna beat the odds... That's in our culture of the divorce rate and everything else. And if you're going to beat the odds to stay in love, there's going to be a requirement on our part to empty ourselves. He goes on, uh, uh, seven and eight. By taking the very nature of a servant, he emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. This is the son of God we're talking about, Jesus himself. He was the son of God, and yet he took on this idea of a servant. He didn't have to. Do you realize that God could have sent his son and his son could have basically stood up there and looked at all humanity and said, okay, I want this section over here to be saved and that section to be damned to hell. And it could have happened just like that. But he didn't do that. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. Why did he do it? He made a choice. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself. He placed himself under. He laid aside his rights. He submitted himself for you and me. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus took this love thing that we're talking about as far as it could be taken. How far are you willing to go to love somebody? There's some of us in this room and you're like, he, didn't put, he doesn't put the toilet seat down. I'm done. No. She's gained weight, and I don't like it anymore. I'm done. How much is too much? How much is too much, you know, to, to not give, to stop giving love? You see, Jesus would say, I preferred you even when you were cursing me when you turned your back on me. In fact, as you were nailing, putting nails to my hands and feet, I preferred you. I loved you. You see, Christ had this dilemma. He could maintain his rights, he could get what he deserved, or he could subordinate all of that for your need for a savior. That's exactly what he did. He could have said, I'm God, this punishment is unfair, this is wrong, I've done nothing wrong. And oftentimes that's how we operate in our relationships. It's his fault, not, it's her fault, it's not my fault. 
Or he did what he did, which was basically say, I put all that aside because you and I need a savior. See, Jesus couldn't have it both ways, neither can you. You can't. You can, you can fight for your rights. You can argue for your rights. You can do all kinds of stuff. And I realize I'm, what I'm saying now, you're listening to me like, okay, Rich, you're crazy. You're not on, you're not on planet Earth here. You're not, you're not in real life. But I think what I'm getting at is I've seen enough where, where we, we, we throw in all kinds of ideas and all kinds of paradigms. We try to fix relationships based on a transactional model of relationships. And what happens at the end of, at the, end of the day is still about willpower. And what we're saying, what I'm saying, what Paul's saying is, listen, you really love that person? Surrender, submit, right? Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you're in a, an abusive relationship, like I said last week, you know, you got to create distance. If it's physically abusive, even verbally abusive, you got to create distance between you and that person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about becoming a doormat or a victim. This is about two rational people coming to terms with the fact that in our nature, we are selfish. That in our nature, we want what we want, not what they want. And that really what Paul is inviting us into and what Jesus modeled is that to have a relationship with one another, we have to submit ourselves to one another. We have to prefer the other person. We live in a culture that tells us we can have it both ways, and the truth is we can't have it both ways. In fact, you speak to anybody who's been married for any length of time, they'll tell you that their marriage has been a series of fighting for your own rights, fight for your own rights, fight for your own rights, and then realize that's not working. (laughs) I keep fighting for my own rights, and it's not working, it's not working. And then you kind of pull back and you submit to one another and, and then you reconcile and you, just, you go through that pattern. I, I can't tell you the number of times that Christy and I have, we've had, I call them animated discussions. They're not arguments because I don't like the word argument. We're having an animated discussion about something, you know, and it goes on. And sometimes, it gets, and sometimes it's over the most dumbest things in the world, you know. I mean, I think it is. Maybe she doesn't think it is. But it was... <laughs> Okay, I just dug myself in a hole there. Um, But still, we will argue about seemingly insignificant things. And then we'll step back and realize that, wow, that was just me saying, no, I want my way. 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 And just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we reflect a little bit of cooling off time. We realize, man, that that was dumb. And he usually comes back and will say something like, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't, shouldn't have done that. That was stupid of me. I apologize. Yes, I will lean in your direction. And what's really cool is that she does the exact same thing to me. And I have to tell you, honestly, guys, the times I've been most connected, closest to my wife, have been in those moments of mutual submission. She's here, so she's like, I think, my, my, Ryan, my, she's right. She's saying yes. She's saying yes. <clears throat> when we decide to prefer each other better than ourselves. Basically, this is a message about going against our nature to be selfish and choosing the other person over ourselves. Listen, we can win arguments, we can prove our rights, our points have it our way and we can destroy the relationship or we can submit to one another genuinely love one another sometimes that means it's not it sometimes it means going to a flea market right (laughs) 
Sometimes it means doing something you don't want to do. But in doing that, you preserve the relationship and you actually end up with this little fairy tale thing that we have in our culture, happily ever after. Is it worth it? Yes. Is it risky? Yes. Does it always work? No. Are there guarantees? No. But if we do this, if we do this, we will be obeying the words of Christ, living the way Christ lived. And I guarantee you that's a, we have a better chance of not just falling in love, but staying in love if we do that. Amen? Let's all stand. Um, when we, uh, you know, I was trying to be, figure out some kind of clever idea for this sermon series title six months ago when we were looking at doing it. And, um, and I had all kinds of thoughts of what could, it, what could it be called and whatever, and I was just trying to... But the, the bottom line is we settled for just what it is, right? Love is hard. And I, as I scan this room, I know that there are many of you in this room that you would say, yeah, exactly that, Rich. Yes, it has been hard. It has been hard whether it's that you've gone through a divorce and you're no longer married to that person, whether you are married to that person, but you're just asking yourself, am I with the wrong person? Whether it's because, you know, um, things have been done, hurts have, have occurred that they're now just gaping wounds in your heart and you want to get past it, you want to live beyond it, but you're just having the hardest time to do that. And it all comes because one day at some moment in time, you fell in love with somebody struggle to stay in love I think what Paul tells us here the model that Jesus gives us is a very powerful one and I realize that there might be some of you in this room you say I wish I would have heard that 20 years ago I had a conversation with a young lady even in church this morning who through tears just told me I, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to work I wish, I wish my husband and I would have done this 10 years ago when we first met cool thing about Christ is that there's always hope in Christ. The hope seems crazy, seems impossible, but God can really work miracles in our lives and really bring transformation where you think that there's no possibility of transformation. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just standing up and saying, oh, I feel this way. It's about doing something. So why don't you start? Remember, this is not for the person sitting next to you. This is for you. So why don't I start with you and start doing love instead of just feeling love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I thank you, Father, that you are actually working in hearts even this morning. You're stirring us. You're moving us. You're calling us to a a higher walk of loving one another, preferring one another. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord, to get out of ourselves to our selfishness and and the things that hold us back. Father, help us to press into you, Jesus. And we're trusting you, God, to heal marriages this morning, to redirect marriages this morning. Father, we're trusting you, Father, for individuals in this room who are dating 
who have been maybe wondering if, 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 if this is ever going to work, because they feel hopeless of what they see in this world, Father, that you'll establish a new paradigm of doing love in their, in their relationship, Father. God, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name.